Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. I, I could, uh, it, it occurred to me that I might share a little bit about myself. Um, I've had a wild and crazy history of my own life, but uh, no, I, I have something much more interesting to share with you than my own life. Uh, when, I, when I look through the, the Bible and I study it, Sometimes, in casual reading of it, I, I look at it and I wish, I wish the Word of God would be, tell me a lot more about the personalities in the Bible. When I do Bible uh, personality studies, I often look at it and say, tell me, tell me more, tell me more. I wish, you know, sometimes I think about Abraham, who's the subject of our message today. I, I think about him and I say, could you have at least given me a Briggs-Meyer uh, the results of a Briggs Meyer exam. Let me tell. I want to know if he, if he's an ENTJ like myself, or an ISFJ, or or ENTP. But uh, there's no hints like that in the Bible. Uh, I also want to know about his childhood. Tell me how he grew up. How did he come to the conclusions that he did? All of these details. Write me a book. Show me these things. They're not there either. However. The Bible is really unique in that the more you look at it, the more you realize there are these little subtleties about it that give you hints as to who this Abraham was. And the more you study it and read it as a, read it as a whole, and you read it as small verses one at a time, you start to see things about people in it. And I've come to some conclusions reading this Tanakh, reading this word about Abraham. And I've decided that this guy is an extremely admirable man. He's not only very admirable, but he is very likable. I think he's the kind of guy you would like to meet. I also think that he's extremely passionate, that his life exemplified that passion. Take the end of the chapter, and this is slide one coming here. Um, The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless you, those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. From this sudden introduction, one can deduce several things, that the Lord loved Abraham very deeply, very deeply. As a person, this God that nobody'd seen in person, that you don't want to see face to face, that God who is so holy and and yet so beautiful, that God loved him deeply. Wow. Wow. I also see that Abraham was already a friend of God, that Abraham was loved by God for what he was already. He lived an exemplary life. In human ways, he was somebody you look up to. You say, wow, I like that man. Now, going back a little bit to the chapter before, at the very end of the chapter, you read slide two. 
Uh, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, and Haran, and his daughter and son, uh, daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out for Ur of the Chaldees to go to from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. From the statement, we can see that Abram came out of Ur of the Chaldees. But you can also see it doesn't say he was a Chaldean. It says he came from there. And he went to Haran. And he was not one of the people of Haran either. He was not an Akkadian, but he went there. Now, there is uh, one little hint that he may be like the Akkadians in some form, in that uh, Terah, his dad, named one of his sons Haran. Is it possible maybe there was a quality about the Arcadians that was like Koran? One thing we know about them is they were nomadic in nature. And I wonder, I think, I believe that Abraham was nomadic in nature as well. So basically, Adam was, uh, uh, Abram was in these places, but he was not of these places. He, worshiped a, he did not worship the gods that they worshipped. Uh, often they wor- worshipped celestial gods, stars, sun, moon. He avoided that. He was looking for the creator of these things. Now, my wife, uh, she's Lucy. You, she's not in the camera anyplace. But um, uh, her grandfather, her family, everybody in her family, and they say it verbatim, they quote him when they said, where are you from? He says, yeah, I came from Norway. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm being brash because I heard the story several times from several members of the family. I said, yeah, but was he Norwegian? And they'd look at me and say, well, he came from Norway. He must be Norwegian. Well, we went to Sweden, my wife and I, and while we were there, we, we did a lot of research into my family because my dad is from Sweden. And uh, we began to do a little research. We, we finished that and we did, be, began to do this research on, on her grandfather. And it turns out he has a Swedish name and he was from Sweden. Now, I remember that commercial. I don't know if you remember. The, I think it was, oh, I don't remember. It was a credit card commercial about... American Express, I think, about the son took his dad to his home of Norway and they had the food and they did dance the dances and they did everything. And after they did all of this, they discovered that he was not Norwegian at all. He was either Danish or Swedish or something. So they had to do it all over again. But um, anyway, she eventually had a DNA test and it turns out that he was Swedish, but he was also Norwegian. So... Anyway, uh, they did find out that he was telling the truth. But Abraham was not, he was from these places, but he was not of them. He didn't worship the way he did. He probably didn't dress the way he did. He was different in many ways. Now, there's another way we know that he was different is uh, archaeology. You know, there's some uh, digging going on in many of these cities, Ur and Haran, and they've discovered a lot of these, a lot of things. And one of these towns, they discovered thousands and thousands of tablets. And on these tablets were accounting by business people. And on these accounting, they found the name Abraham occasionally, or Abram occasionally. We don't know if it's the same Abram, but we found that. We also found, or they also found pillars. And on these pillars were in, I believe it was cuneiform, all of these stories about uh, creation 
and even the flood. Now, the stories from town to town seem to uh, vary a bit, but the idea is they were looking to and recognized, at least in some form or another, that there was a great God out there, not just the little gods that they were following. There is something above all things, the God of creation. There is also a man, his name is Melchizedek, and he lived in Salem, which I believe is Jerusalem, and he came out and he was the priest of the one high God, the God of creation, the God of everything, the God of the flood. So we know Abram was looking for something and he was finding and his people were finding this God of creation that was above all things and not just little things. When my kids went to school, uh, because we had moved around way too much, they would go and they would choose their friends carefully because they did not have to act like anybody at school because they had friends elsewhere. They had a bigger picture of what it was. And I think Abram had this big picture of God way above and way much better than the little gods and all of their crazy ideas that came with it. Abram saw above that. Now there's two characteristics about Abram that I find really, really fascinating. Slide three. Abraham waited on the Lord. From the Negev, he went to, from place to place until he came to Bethel. And in the place between Bethel and Ai, where he, his tent had been earlier, and where he first built an altar, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. I have this mental picture of Abram building a pile of rocks, waiting all night, calling. Lord, Lord, what do you want of me? How do you want me to live? How do you want me to be? What do you want me to be? What do you want me to feel like? How do you want me to view people? How do you want me to view my past? How do you want me to view you, God of the universe, waiting? I believe he waited in the wilderness with a great passion. There's another guy in scripture very much like this, came a lot later, his name is David. And David, David, he left us some poetry about this waiting experience. And he was very much like, in fact, if you look at slide four, we know that the Lord had sought out a man of his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because he had the heart, he followed God so much that he had the heart of God. I believe Abram was like that. I see these two men very similar. And then slide five. Hear my voice, said David, when I call. O Lord, be merciful to me. I can imagine this being a prayer that took all night and it turned into a poem. Hear my voice, a song. O Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek my face, seek his face, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in in your straight path because of my oppressors. He had passion 
the kind of passion that was his prayer all day long, all night long, on his bed, standing before rocks, waiting and hiding from enemies. It was a passion that says, define me. I don't want to define myself. Lucy and I have a uh, movie that's on our shelves, our favorite shelf, called The Road Home. Have you ever heard of it? Okay, I don't know. It's a very obscure Chinese movie that has English subtitles. And it's about a peasant woman who lived in a small town right about the time uh, communists took over the communist revolution. And um, she didn't like any of the men in town. When they were all getting married, she refused to marry anybody. And along came a school teacher into town, and she instantly fell in love with him. They courted in very traditional ways and very symbolic ways in the film. And she would go, she could not read or write, so she would go every day and sit outside the school and listen to him teach. She loved the sound of his voice. She loved the beautiful teaching. She cared about him with great passion. And well, then uh, because he was a man of influence and teaching, the Communist Party wanted to talk to him. And sometimes they wanted to talk to him for days and weeks and months, and they would send him away or take him away to a city far away. And he would have to travel back. And sometimes he was gone for days and weeks and months. And our peasant girl, the wife of this man, stood by the road at the time of day when he was to come. And she would wait for him every day, waiting, waiting, and waiting. She waited when the sun was shining. She waited when it was raining and when it snowed. She waited with passion, waiting, hoping, hoping. Now, this is a crazy movie. They never kissed. They never even hugged. I mean, there is no sign of affection in the movie at all. But there was great passion in this movie. Or if you were looking, there was great passion. And you saw it when she waited. You saw it when she waited. You saw it on her face. She loved with all her heart this man, this school teacher. Well, I see Abraham like that. I see him waiting with this great passion. What do you want of me, Lord? What should I be like? How should I act? How should I think? How should I be? Because I want to be with you because you are the God of the universe. Slide six. I am am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord and be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. I see also Abraham waiting. I also see Abraham blessing. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I'm about to show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make you your name. That's slide seven. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I believe Abraham was already being a blessing. And I ask myself, why would, why would he be told this? Yes, the foundation is he was already that kind of person. He was already imitating the spirit of the God of the universe. Slide eight. The Hebrew verb, barak, 
I, I forgive my Hebrew, I don't speak it. But for, uh, the Hebrew verb barak means to kneel, as in Genesis 24. And it says he had his camels kneel down uh, near the wall outside the town. And of course, that's another story. We won't get into it. But the use of the word, a word means simply to kneel down. However, uh, and again, I don't understand this grammar, but uh, 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 however, and when it's written in the peel, uh, Hebrew meaning active, uh, a verb, I would guess, a form, it means to show respect, usually translated as bless. Genesis 12.2 would be to give things on your knees. On your knees to give things. Now, uh, often in the Christian church, I, I've heard the word tossed around, uh, oh, it's such a blessing. It's, this is a blessing. This, uh, that's a blessing, that kind of thing. And, and the meaning of it is true and it's good. But I, for me, the word blessing runs a whole lot deeper than that. And it begins on your knees. It means to deliver to another person in words, deeds, gifts, ideas, feelings, revelations, teachings of great value and goodness in such a way that it is understood, acceptable, and desirable. A lot of people just give advice. I, I've done it myself. And sometimes advice is good. Sometimes it's on the cheap side. Whether it's good or not, there's not much invested into it. But I think when Abraham spoke... There was a lot invested in it behind him. Slide nine. I believe Abraham, when he gave advice, when he gave a blessing, it was filled with time, time spent. It was filled with energy, energy spent on it. It was filled with attention. He paid attention to what was going on. He was a great observer of what was going on in people And in the situation, he saw things. It was filled with great sincerity and affection, and it was full of sacrifice. Blessings are rather difficult to uh, give to others. Sometimes they're very intentional and deliberate, and sometimes they're very spontaneous. But I believe that spontaneousness in a great blessing, that spontaneous is in a foundation of prayer, lots of prayer and time on your knees. Sometimes a blessing is delivered to another in a simple word that is perfectly timed, a timing that comes out of deep goodness and those hours on your knees. But most often, a blessing is delivered from one person to another because they study you. They care about you. I'd like to tell you a little story about a blessing. I was 18 years old. I came from a really crazy family. And uh, uh, so I had a lot of confusion in my life at this time. And I took a job as a camp uh, counselor. And this is two years after I gave my heart to the Lord. And I was still figuring it all out. And um, this camp was a Salvation Army camp that uh, 18 years old, I was going to be the counselor, one of the counselors. There were many counselors for it because they had four, six, eight hundred kids there. So I was going to be there. And I remember this camp from long ago. I had a very bad experience at this camp. And in my 18-year-old thinking, I was thinking, I'm going to fix that. When I go to be a counselor, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to be different. I am going to fix that. So I had an attitude when I went there. 
And uh, I was different. I admit it. I was very different. And my wife says I'm still different, but um, I, I was very different at the time. And also, there's only a few of these salvationists there. But because there was only a few salvationists, they had hired all of these students. I believe they were from Asbury Seminary. Most of them were 24, 25, 27, even 30 years old. And it was a very mature set of counselors, well, except for me, of course. And um, uh, they thought of me as different. And I was. Well, we had a long stretch in the middle of the summer where we worked and we only had afternoons off occasionally between camps. And we finally had a weekend off before the next two camps and the final part of the summer. And we were all sitting around a campfire and we were just talking and sharing. Uh, I believe it was a Thursday evening before we had the day off, the final day of sending the kids home. And uh, we were just talking and everybody was saying, you know what I'm going to do with my two days? And they would tell how they were going to go home or they were going to go do this or they're going to buy this. Uh, They were going to see a movie. They were going to go on a date. They were going to do all of these things. And it came to me and I said, well, I don't know. I don't have a car, so I'd probably just stay here. And uh, while there's probably a lot of errands I'd love to run, but uh, I'm okay here. And afterward, we were walking toward the cabins uh, where we were at. We each had a a cabin, uh, a room inside of the main cabin with the kids, and we were walking back, and some guy walked up to me. I believe his name was Dan. I don't even remember his name, but he walked up to me and says, Hey, John, I'll take you home. Okay, you don't mind running errands with me? No, no problem. And uh, so he took me home that weekend. I still live with my parents and my crazy parents. And he went and he stayed with us. And he hung around these crazy parents and he laughed with them and he ate with them and he talked with them and he, he brought a little gift or you know, food or something when he went there. He bought, went to the grocery store. He did all kinds of little things and my parents loved him. My crazy parents actually loved this guy. And we went on errands and we spent time together talking. I remember one particular errand, we were walking, and we were talking about what's important to us. And I was saying, I don't like this attitude. I don't like that attitude. I prefer to be this. And he was sharing some of these things too. And he had a habit of saying, that's cool, John. That's cool, John. And at one point, I said something. I have no idea what it was. I said something, and he walked in front of me, and he stopped, and he pointed his finger at me and says, John, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I didn't think of it as beautiful. I don't even remember what I said, but I remember his finger and I remember him saying that. The following two weeks, I was not the same person. The following two weeks, I went just to be a good counselor. I was not trying to fix anything. Somehow, something changed in my heart. And it was because of that blessing. I kind of think... Dan, or whatever his name was, when I look back at it, I kind of think he spent his money on gas. He drove his car. He took the whole weekend to be with crazy me. He spent the whole weekend with me. He endured my crazy parents. I mean, he actually loved them. And I think it was all 
the driving around, all of the things, all just to say that one thing. John, that's beautiful. If he said that any other circumstance, it wouldn't have meant anything. But because he paid the price, because I believe he did that in great prayer, it was a very spontaneous act, but it came out of great intention. When I think of Abraham, I think of a man who takes the time. He spends the energy. He watches He gives you his attention. He observes things, what you do, how you do, how you dress, how you talk, how you move. He listens to you. And then he pays a sacrifice for you. That's a blessing. Given on your knees to somebody. That's goodness. Might be a loaf of bread, but it's not just a loaf of bread. It's a loaf of bread in the perfect timing. It might be his own life his own life sacrifice. He was willing to give his son, his only son. It was a sacrifice, a terrible sacrifice. You can bet for Abraham, it was not about his religion. It was not about walking perfect and trying to be good. It was not about how he performed in church or within the congregation or in the synagogue. It was not about a code of law. He didn't even have a code of law. He was just living it. It was not about how he dressed and how he looked. It was about the passionate desire to bless somebody with all his heart. You know, later came the law. And I think many commentators say that Abraham was a guy that already lived the law. And uh, Maimonides, I've read a few bits uh, of his stuff, and one of the things I, I noticed is he looked at Abraham and said, why, why did God choose Abraham? And um, the crazy thing, the answer is simple. It's because God chose Abraham. Uh, no, let me rephrase that. Check that. Reverse it. Abraham chose God. He chose God. He looked for him with great passion. And this law is only a natural way of performing so that you can follow this God. And I believe that's why Moses gave it. Here's a little excerpt of it, uh, slide nine. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desires on your neighbor's house, his land, his manservant, maidservant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is a negative expression of the law, but if you reverse it, you get something different. You talk about giving life, finding ways to give life to people, to help them wake up and become. You talk about instead of committing adultery, you find blessing the relationships of people, caring about them with with a passion that says, I want you to be the best. It says don't steal. Instead, you give gifts. It says you don't lie. And it says, no, you bring goodness, understanding, and wisdom. You seek these things with all your heart. You don't lie because you're seeking something else that is of great value. You shall not covet, but you will bring blessings instead. You will bring blessings, the reverse state of mind from covet. It's simple. 
Slide 12. If you see your brother or your ox straying, uh, uh, your brother's ox or sheep straying, don't ignore it, but be sure to take it back from him. If your brother does not live near you, uh, or if you don't know who your brother is, take it home and keep it until your brother comes looking for it, then give it back to him. Do the same if your brother's uh, if, if your brother's donkey or his cloak or anything he loses, don't ignore it. If your brother's donkey or oxen uh, fall on the road, do not ignore it. Help him to his feet. A study of the law indicates that you and I are responsible for one another. In our hearts, in our prayers, and in our actions, we are responsible for the people around us. And we bring blessings to them, as Abraham did. Slide 13. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you, and you may go in and take the good land that the Lord promised an oath to your forefathers. To do what is right and to do what is good is to imitate the spirit of the Creator, the spirit of the, of the Savior of the flood, the spirit of the one that is here all around, waiting and watching and loving me and you. If there's any feeling in this, it's a joy. It's a privilege. It's a goodness, and it is a passion. It is a fire, as was expressed earlier. To love is not a feeling so much as a responsibility, they say, but it is also a passion that comes from the deep times in your heart where you pray for people and you honor people with all you've got. Now, the next progression of this law is naturally the Messiah. And if you look at it, slide 14, a little story, uh, a little uh, incident that occurred uh, with Yeshua. As Yeshua started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Yeshua answered, no one is good except God alone. Oh, what a hint. He continues, you know the commands, do not murder, do not commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. Well, teacher, he says, all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at him and he loved him. Now, Jesus is the kind of guy who spent nights often on his knees talking to the Father about people. Maybe he saw him in the future. Maybe he saw him now. And in this, his great passion, he saw him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven and then come follow me. At this, man, at this a man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, what was it about this man that Yeshua saw in him that was not in proper place to be a good follower of Yeshua, the Messiah? Was it money? No, that was not a problem. Was it outward righteousness? No, this guy had been to yeshiva. He knew. It was not about Irish. uh, uh, Excuse me, did I say Irish? It was not about righteousness on the outside. He was a pious man uh, and following the law already. 
but he says you lack something. Something that all followers of Yeshua are working on with all their heart and a great passion. Yeshua looked at this man where he was from the very beginning to the very end and saw probably that his heart would be changed. And right now, before his heart was changed, he needed time, time to spend thinking and doing. He needed to spend energy, take his, all of his energy to push on for a goal. And in this case, getting rid of his stuff. He needed to pay attention. He needed to observe. He needed to be on his knees. He needed sincerity and affection. And he needed that time on his knees in prayer. Bringing himself to the Lord, bringing others to the Lord. He needed to sacrifice. Yeshua saw where this man was and where he was going. He was not there, but there was something in his character that was coming. This man needed heart surgery. He needed to wait on the Lord with all his heart and his mind. He needed to build a passion in his heart that allowed him to follow with joy. He needed a passion in his heart that allowed him to bless others. Yeshua was saying, divest yourself of anything holding you back. It wasn't the money. It was his image, whether it was power or prestige or those possessions. Get rid of them so they're not in the way. Define yourself as one who's a seeker, who is waiting. Define yourself as one who blesses. Slide 15. Then a teacher of the law came to to him and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Yeshua replied, foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, he has no place to to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Yeshua said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Jesus looked at people and he saw right through them. He saw their hearts. He saw the evidences around them, the way they conducted themselves, their mannerisms, and the words they chose, and then he looked into their heart. He knew where they were, and he says, you know, followers of Yeshua, the Messiah, we don't have a home here. This is not our place. We'll give our lives because this is not what we are about. We don't live here except to bless others and to follow this God. Matthew 11, this is slide 16. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has never risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he, is a, who, he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Wow, this sounds on the surface of it almost contradictory and crazy. And yes, it was crazy. It was crazy because the followers of Yeshua are forcefully going to push things aside in their lives, forcefully grab hold of the righteousness that is given to them, the holiness that is a prize given to them. They're forcefully going to reach for it with all their might 
and all their energy and all their passion because it's more important than their own lives. I think Abraham was this kind of man. I think David was. And I think Yeshua, the Messiah, was the epitome of this kind of person. He said a couple of things worth noting in slide 17. Do not love the world or anything else in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world is craving of sinful man. The lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Some say the love, that love is not a feeling, but it's an action. On one hand, I agree, but on the other, I believe it's born out of great passion. This kind of love, this godly love, this seeking and waiting and searching and blessing. One of my favorite disciples, and obviously Jesus' favorite disciple, said this, slide 18. How great is the love of the Father has, how great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God and this is what, what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You have to become defined by that love, that passion, that fire within you. Don't let it go out. Slide 19. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed us, showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that he might live through him. Often God is described as a holy burning fire. And I believe that holy burning fire is also defined by love. Where he waits on us. He's waited on me all my life. He waits on us. And in finding him, and in searching with all our passion and all our own fire, pointing at him, forcing everything out of the way, so that we can look at him. There is joy and there is goodness. This week is Pasach or Passover, if I said that right. It is a week we celebrate the saving of the Jewish people from slavery to bring them into the promised land. It is a week we celebrate death passing us over because of the blood of the man who loved us and blessed us and fulfilled the law because he, we couldn't. This week we celebrate the blood spilling, spilled by the Messiah. Yeshua was the epitome of that love. The one by his very nature waited on God until the right timing for everything to allow himself to be killed in our place. What was his ultimate expression of love? Being the Lamb of God being the sacrifice once and for all. Now, this is love. And you can bet throughout his life, his prayer time was all about this. 
compassionately seeking and waiting and understanding it. He took the time, all the time necessary to develop, to make sure that he had it exactly right. He gave all of his energy and worked on it to love and passionately act like God the Father himself. He gave us his uh, his attention and he observed us with sincerity and great affection. And then he gave the sacrifice. As we celebrate the Passover and the new love found, uh, the new life found in the Lamb, consider yourselves a vehicle of this kind of blessing, one that runs deep and costs you much as well. Uh, they don't come every day, this kind of opportunity to love and find love and be loved by the God of the universe. James said this it's a beautiful passage about the way believers and followers of the Messiah should be. He says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing psalms of praise. Is anyone sick? He should go before the elders to pray over him and anoint him with oil and in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith uh, will make the sick uh, person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one another. Uh, Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. When I see Abraham waiting on God, I also see him saying, here's my life. Do you remember when happened? Do you remember when this happened, Lord? I was wrong. Do you remember my attitudes back there? That was wrong. I don't want to be that way. I want to be like you, passionately giving his entire life. This picture is a beautiful one of the, uh, of the Yeshua of Nazareth, that in prayer, we could have his spirit. We can know him. You know, there's, there's a movie, another movie, yes, uh, that is real popular. I almost sh- showed you a slide of it. I, I gave it to the guys, and I said, no, 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 don't do that, because when I looked at it again, I, I took a moment not to see the principle behind it, but the acting, and I said, no, this isn't right. We don't want to show this. I don't want you to see that. I want you to see this. In it, it's, it's Groundhog Day, and I'm sure most of you or many of you have seen it, but in it, there's a principle. There's an idea, as if the author was saying, if I could only, if a man could have as many days repeated over and over and over until he could see things, till he could understand things. And the character in the movie was a very selfish, egotistic man who used and abused people for his own pleasure. And then he got to live the day over and over. And his first response is, oh, goody, I can have anything I want. I can use and abuse everything. He learned how to steal money from banks. He learned how to get a date every night. He did everything so cool, he abused people. And after a while, that became boring. And after a while, he became depressed doing this. And his depression became so great that he began to kill himself day after day after day, trying different methods to get rid of himself because he didn't want to live this day over and over. And he finally came to the conclusion when he woke up the next morning and it was still February 2nd. They say he did this 12,403 times. It was calculated by somebody. And he came to this point that says, now what? I can't kill myself. I'm here again. And in his depression, 
he looked around and he started seeing things. He started reading. He started studying. He started to care about things. He started to fix things around him. I don't know how many times he saved that little boy falling out of the tree. But he did it every day because not on this day, that's not going to happen. I believe in the real story, this man learned to repent because he turned from his old ways because he saw the stupidity and the folly of a short life lived doing anything he wanted to do. And death wasn't enough for him. But he had to live. And he began to discover the grace of God. He began to discover a passion that motivated him and pushed him to do things right. He discovered that he could see things in people. He knew everybody in town, and he knew their feelings. He saw things in people. At one point, he says, uh, I'm, I'm a God, but I'm just a little God with a little G. I'm not the God, because he saw so much. He discovered so much. And in the end, he lived a life of blessing, of waiting, waiting, waiting for life to continue, waiting on God, waiting on the spirit of the creation, spirit of the universe. And he, in his waiting, he blessed and observed and watched. I believe we are to be the same. And instead of having 12,403 days of one day to figure this all out, we have the Holy Spirit. When we give our life to the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit who shows us things when we are in passion, seek to bless and honor not only the Lord, but other people. We're about to, uh, uh, the band can get together again. We're about to sing our, our last song, but I would like to pray with you. And if you bow your heads, um, if you're on air uh, in your own home or here, let's pray. Lord, put in my heart that kind of passion, that kind of feeling that nothing matters but you. Nothing at all. I want to push everything aside so you are my greatest passion. And Lord, in me and in us, in our congregation, that we would bless people like Abraham with great passion, that we would take the time and the energy to see and know the people around us, that we would listen, we would observe, and then we would pay the sacrifice on our knees, giving our gifts. Lord, because I know that's what you did to us. That's what you do to us daily. It is so good to be your people, Lord. It's so good to imitate you. Thank you for our Messiah. Thank you, Lord. As we go through this week, looking at you, the Lamb of God, who is resurrected into a new life of a spiritual life, we want to be a part of this. This is our whole goal, that we would grow toward this with all our might, that we would make the decision that you are everything because in you is a purpose you won't find anywhere else. Everything else is boring. Nothing matters but you. Thank you for being there, Lord, for looking at me and recognizing me. You must love me, and you must love 
every individual with a one-on-one time in eternity where you see us in our hearts. Thank you for doing that, Lord. Thank you for being our Savior and Lord. Amen.